friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. This morning to Skyline. I'm Jonathan. If I haven't met you, we've got quite a few new people coming to Skyline these days. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is such a blessing um, to be with you. Our staff, most of our staff was out of town last week at a conference. We had three staff members come back and hold down the fort, so Todd and Blakely and Trent were champs. They flew home early. Um, and, and I tell you, I love the idea that I get to serve on staff at a church where I hate being gone on Sundays. I hate missing this. This is our family, our home, um, and we have such a history in this room together. I hate uh, missing, so I'm so glad to be here this morning with you. We've been in a series uh, titled God Comes Where he wa- He's Wanted, and we've been talking about revival, how we want revival, and each week we've been uh, reading revival scriptures, we've been telling revival stories, we've been praying revival prayers, and we're going to continue this morning, but one of the things I wanted to do this morning was, was to kind of reiterate the vision um, and make sure that we don't miss it. Um, uh, because I'm, I'm aware that uh, my passion for revival um, could be misconstrued, right? Our, our vision for it could be misconstrued in the idea that what we want is revival, that we want a, a, a certain specific thing. And I was telling Greg this morning, I was like, I just felt the need this morning to clarify what we're trying to do so that we make it really clear that what we want are the things that happen in the world that we end up calling revival. So it's not even that we want revival. We just want the things to happen in the church and in our city that when it's over, it goes, that was revival. Where people saved, healed, delivered, set free, reconciled, forgiven, empowered, right? Like, was there real, clear social and cultural change? At the end of all that, they go, oh, that's revival. That's what it is. That's what we want. We don't want revival for revival's sake. We're not trying to fill this room. Um, uh, We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're not trying to build a platform or any other kind of ministry. What we want um, is for God to come and dwell. We said the first week, revival is a going of God amongst his people. It's the presence of God pouring out in a people, in a place, in such a powerful way that things change. Um, That's what we want this morning. We, We don't just want... Um, the external effects, what we want is the internal reality of what revival represents, which is God coming to dwell really specifically in a place, in a people, in a specific time for a specific reason, for a purpose. Uh, That's what we want. And, And so the question is, why do we want that? Well, we want that because we realize the world is not in great shape right now. Right? We realize maybe even that our own lives aren't in great shape right now. We realize that the church at large, the big C church in America is not in great shape right now. And what we read in the Bible is to say when you hit these times, there is a prescribed way to respond. 
Right? There's actually Jesus gives us a game plan for what to do when everything starts to go wrong and when things start to decline. Um, and I had a friend one time, he said, that, you know, the biggest thing I, I don't want to do as a pastor is I don't want to just manage the decline of the Western church. Or, or as I say, I don't want to be one of the symphony members on the, the deck of the Titanic who plays songs to make people feel comfortable while they die. I want life rafts. <laughs> I, want to, I want to send a God, God send a boat to rescue us. One of the things that gripped my heart was there is a study commissioned by a pretty large Christian foundation. And this study, uh, it, it checked the demographics. It saw what's happening in the church, the decline of the church, what's happening amongst young people. You've probably heard of the nuns, right? People who just have none religion. I know that doesn't sound like a sentence, but it is. They just, they just have, they have no, no uh, affiliation. They have no faith. They have no church. And this study revealed that if nothing changes in the Western church, by 2050, we will have watched 45 million young people walk away from faith. 45 million of our children, our grandchildren, our friends walk away from church. And the study did all this stuff. What, what could we do? And it commissioned, like, what could happen? And they're like, well, we could do digital discipleship. We could uh, get more funding to the churches. We could plant more churches. We could do all these things. And at the end of it, they said, if we do all these things, we do them really, really, really well, we'll only lose half that many. And I read that study and I thought, how sad is it that now our expectations are so low <laughs> that our hope is just to lose half of our children? I've got six kids. I can't imagine settling for losing three. And just being like, if I just work really hard, if I just do all these things, we'll, we'll keep half. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, the God of the Bible is reading, like, not only will we not lose half or keep all, we ought to have a vision for gain. Like, for the kingdom to expand, not that we'd lose 45 million, but we'd gain 45 million. In our generation, we'd see a revival amongst teenagers We'd see another Jesus movement, right, of the 1970s where these teenagers and young people flock the beaches and they're getting saved. And Lonnie Frisbee is like, he, he's literally like this dirty hippie kid. He's 18 years old. He would go on the Santa Monica Pier in his like robe and all the stuff. And he said, I would stand on the pier and I would jump up and down yelling, hey, until a crowd gathered. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? That's all he would do. I just, hey, hey. And they're like, oh, there's a crazy person. Let's go see what's going on. And he's like, and then I'd preach the gospel, and I never failed to baptize 30 or 40 people every time I did it. Where's those 18-year-olds today? are <laughs> like, man, I've got a vision for what God can do. So that, that's our heart. We, we want that. We want to stir that in you. And what I realized is there's, there's kind of this thing where it's like, basically there's our uh, experience of life, there's what we do in the church, and then there's what God's calling us to do. Um, and this is dangerous, but I'm going to come down off the stage. This doesn't happen very often. I feel really close to you, Carrie. Uh, um, but, and, and I don't even know if this is going to work, so I'm going to walk a little bit. Um, so it might have feedback, or I don't know, the mic might just not work. But I was kind of like, okay, so like, this is dangerous. Whew. So you have like, right here is like, our experience of life. This is the way our life feels. You have all the way over here is what we do at church. What does the church look like, feel like, sound like? And then I kind of felt like in the middle you have what God's calling us to in this generation, which is to fill the gap. 
um, which is to not be satisfied. And so over here, I just wrote down what's happening in our lives. Okay, so this isn't out there. This isn't like the world is so bad. This is in this room. I'm not going to name names, so relax. Um, but like, this is our story. Can I just read to you just what came to mind when I thought about the lives in this room, the people that I've pastored for 16 years? I mean, we just have like the struggle of life, right? We deal with bitterness and anger, conflict, managing conflict, massive conflict in our families and in our friendships and in our work. We're dealing with fear about our life. Will we be taken care of? Will our children be taken care of? Will they have faith? Will I have enough? Anxiety, worry, depression, suicide. Right? Members of this church who in the last two or three years have lost family members and loved ones to suicide. And it's awful. Financial challenges. We have poverty and we have struggles and we have businesses where you're laying awake at night saying, is this going to work? Can I feed my family on this thing? Should I give up and just get a job? We have issues at work. We have people who have lost their jobs or gotten fired or had to fire people. It's just hard. It's difficult. We have divorce. And we have families blending after divorce in this room. Where else should you be? Right? After walking through these things, you should be here. We have people experiencing singleness. And they're like, God, is there someone for me? Is this life the life I'll live forever? Where are you? Is there somebody out there? Does the church care? And is there a place for me in this community? Or do I have to be married and have kids? We've got people in this room with prodigal children. Our, our kids are far from God. And I'll just tell you what, if you've got a mom with a kid far from God, it doesn't matter how much else is going right. It doesn't matter. It's the lost coin, right? Like tearing up all the cushions and all the blankets and all the garage, looking for like that one thing that I love until I find it, I won't rest. Until it comes back to me, it's precious. And our children, their anxiety, their depression, their addiction, their conflict, their lack of connection, their difficulty with technology and creating relationships and what do we do, but not just theirs, but yours. You know the reason why kids are addicted to their phones? Because their parents are addicted to their phones. I love it. Our kids these days, you go to the airport, everyone with gray hair is doing this. It's just much closer to their face. Um, people in this room have experienced violence. Like real physical violence. Abuse, emotional, physical, sexual abuse in this room. We have stories that would make you crumble if you heard it. If you knew everything, you'd be like, oh, how are you here? How are you alive? How do you have a family? How do you parent your children with all that stuff in your past? We have people in this room battling addiction. Some very outwardly, and we know it because they've shared it, and we're praying. It's alcohol, it's drugs, it's pornography, and some of you in secret. And you've managed to look happy and functional on the outside, yet you have stuff going on the inside that you're terrified someone in this room might find out, and you'll lose everything. It's just, it's just the stats, <laughs> right? It's just what's true. We have people in this room walking through tragedy and loss. 
We've lost children, lost spouses, lost parents, lost siblings in sudden, traumatic, tragic ways. We have all kinds of trauma, and we all have all the things happening that surround trauma, all the triggers, all the reactions, all the responses that um, they just happen and you can't control it. You have shame, you have humiliation from failure when you fail in ways that everyone knows. And all you want to do is just hide in your room and stay away because facing it feels like you're going to die. Right? You have struggles with physical health. Right? Like ailments that you can't get rid of and they're just weighing you down and it's just the mental exhaustion from a physical struggle is... It's crazy when you talk to somebody who said just had like an ongoing illness that either there's no answer for or the answer is just keep going. There is no answer. Um, we have mental illness, we have mental health crisis, right? We're struggling with things that we're like, why does my mind not work the way other people's minds work? And what's wrong with me, God? And why won't you fix it? Why did I get made this way? You have all, so this is our life. <laughs> this is our marriage. This is our family. These are our children. This is our neighbors. This is where we work. This is your church. I just described the people you're sitting next to right now. Right? Um, and there's a lot of good things, too. <laughs> but the problem is this is the stuff we don't talk about. This is stuff we, we never address, and you almost hope it never gets talked about, and you're like, oh, man. And then you have, like, so you got all that, and then you're like, okay, let's go to church. <laughs> right? And what do we have at church? We have, okay, let's keep people happy and comfortable, and let's have, you know, I wrote down about five minutes of talking, about 15 minutes of singing songs, 30 more minutes of talking, Three minutes of singing songs, one minute of closing prayer, and one minute to dismiss people. And that's the equivalent of shooting a BB gun at an elephant in the spiritual reality of what's happening in people's lives. And, and what it actually does is it subtly tells you, do not bring that stuff here because we have no answer for it. I have nothing for you. Be warm and well-fed and giving them no food or clothing. But we're talking about in the spirit. We're like, I, I know you have all that stuff, but it scares me to death. And I don't even know if I have faith that God can show up in those ways. So let's just keep everything above the surface. And let's sing happy, clappy songs. And let's preach sermons. Um, but just keep it up here above the surface. And so what we do is we fake it. And in faking it, it starts to numb our ability to actually have faith that God could show up in the midst of all of that stuff. And what we do is we, leave, we, we lead two separate lives. We lead the life we live when we're trying to be spiritual, and then we lead our real life. And as we know, that's called in the Bible hypocrisy. And it's funny because we think of hypocrisy more about somebody who sins and then acts like they don't. But a lot of it is, is people who are living one life in the world and all the junk that's going on. That's not even sinful. It's just the reality of our struggles. And then coming to church and just being like, okay, let's, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've, I've thought myself and I've heard people say, I've got to put on a brave face. Yeah, just put on a brave face, get it together. 
And then it's funny because one of the things that happens to you here is we've created a place that we don't really do that, nor do we reward it. Um, and I get a lot of people who are like, I don't know, I just come to Skyline and I cry. <laughs> I'm like, good. You know why you're crying? Because there's a bunch of stuff in there that needs to come out. And it needs to come out not just to a friend or a counselor or an advisor, but it actually needs to come out to God. What did Hannah do? She went to the altar and she poured out her soul before God in such a way the guy thought she was drunk. Not wild. She's so real before God. She's in anguish. And the guy's like, hey, get it together. It's, it's like in the morning and you're drunk already. Like, she's not drunk. She's like, I'm just pouring out my soul before God. I'm in so much pain. I'm bringing it to him. Mark Sayers says it this way. I love this quote. The elephant in the living room of contemporary Christianity is people's ability to, to simply sit in church to consume the experience the way one would a great sporting event, a thrilling movie, or an exciting theme park ride. And then to dispose of it totally unchanged at the soul level and as they leave the sanctuary. Sure, they might feel challenged, encouraged, or even moved, but the horizontal self simply feels the experience and moves on. I want you to know, our church, we don't want people to feel an experience on Sunday morning and move on. We want people to be radically transformed on the inside. Paul says, in your inner being to be transformed. That's what we want. We want, um, I, I was like, I kind of had this thought, like we want church with some like, that sticks to your ribs. Remember that, that statement? You don't hear that very much anymore. But I want like church that sticks to your ribs. You're like, I can't get away from it. I'm thinking about it Sunday afternoon and Sunday night and Monday morning. I wake up and I'm like, God's after me. This will not let go. I can't get away from it. That's what we want. But he says this about the modern church. He says, in the modern church, in that kind of culture where you just have an experience and move on, the worship service becomes a pseudo-media event. The church building becomes a theme park. So I, I, I hope you guys notice this. One of the things we've consciously not done in this church is make it the most beautiful. It, this is a beautiful place, but you'll see some cracks in the ceilings and stuff, you know, like discolor it. Because, like, this isn't to make you feel like you're at Disney World. This is a building for people to worship God. It doesn't have to be perfect for that to happen, right? The room doesn't have to be dark. You don't have to have fog machines. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you can worship Jesus in a fully lit room where people, like, see your face. And then it's awkwardly, sometimes you, like, open your eyes and somebody over there is staring at you, and you're like, oh. <laughs> Raise your hand if that's happened to you, right? Somebody of these on these sides, like, oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't looking at you. I was looking at Jesus. He was just over there. He was in that side. So the church building becomes a theme park. The kids' zone, right, is, like, incredible. It, you know, it's like the Christian leader becomes Christian celebrity. Teaching becomes entertainment. Salvation becomes self-help. Discipleship becomes lifestyle enhancement. I go to church to make my life better, to get better at this Jesus thing. Soul becomes self. Church becomes brand. Gospel becomes slogan. But the problem is, is that thing over there still exists. And you can't get away from it. And so in the midst of that, why we want to talk about revival is because we think there is a gap between that and that. And so if you've got your Bible, open to Joel chapter 2. This is our verse for the morning before we pray. Let's see if I can find it. That'd be embarrassing. 
Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Okay, so this is what you have. You have the reality of Israel, and then you have what's happening in the temple. They're, li- they're literally just going through the motions of sacrifices and trying to obey and trying to be good people, trying to be good priests, trying to be good prophets. And God's like, you're doing all that, but the locusts are eating your life. <laughs> it's like, like you're living in judgment, but you're acting as if everything's okay. Or Jeremiah would say, you're, you're saying peace, peace, where there is no, there's no peace. And in essence, in Joel 2, God's like, stop faking it. Stop pretending. Anybody remember the old song, No More Pretending? Nobody? That was an old joke. Brian, you remember that song. <laughs> no more pretending. Remember that, Trent? Do you remember that song? <laughs> Sorry. I love that song. That's nostalgia. But he's like, okay, so all this is happening. Let me tell you what to do. And I can just tell you, you're not going to like it. He doesn't say that in here, but you're not going to like it. Like, This passage, your flesh will fight it probably harder than anything else you'll ever face in your life. Why? Because it's the path to knowing God and having his presence poured out in your life. And the flesh always resists the spirit. Right? And that's why I say the Christian life would be easy if it weren't for the flesh, the world, and the devil. But it turns out we've got three enemies in your life, and your, your flesh will resist this because um, most of us have lived our lives with our main goal to be respectable, to have a good reputation, and to hold it together, especially in front of other people. Right? Just keep it together, right? It's not really that we're embarrassed that our kids misbehave, it's that they misbehave in front of other people. Right? And it's not really about them, it's about me and what I want people to think about me. Right? I want them to think I'm a good parent. If my kids misbehave, they might think I'm a bad parent when everybody's kids are misbehaving. Can we just be honest? Like, mine are just doing so here because I have six of them and they're, you know, it's hard to get them all to do the right thing at the same time. It's like three out of six is, I mean, you're an all-star in Major League Baseball if you're like 300. So we're doing okay. But you know, it's like, it's, and I, I have fought that so much to be like, my children are not the only representation of my parenthood. Like, right, they're, they're activities or behavior in this moment because I've got to let go of respectability and what other people think of me. All that matters is my relationship with them. So here's what it says. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Listen to this. With what? Fasting, weeping, and mourning. He's like, what do you do when you end up in the place of suffering, addiction, trauma, divorce, poverty, fear, depression, suicide, all those things I listed. What should you respond with when those things come? He doesn't say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just gut it out. He's like, no, no, no. Return to me with all your heart. Not half your heart, not a little bit of your heart, all and, and I think it's almost hard for us to fathom what all means. Like, what does that even mean? All oh, my heart. Can I even do that? Have I ever even done that? And, and I'll just be honest with you. I don't know what all means for you. I, I don't even really know what all means for me. I just know it's more than now. 
whatever is now, it's going to be more. He's like, hey, I, I, I can do things in your life, but I need more. But really what I need is for you to actually be honest about what's happening in your life. Because if you're honest, um, you wouldn't be trying to fix it yourself and being happy, clappy, and put on a brave face. You would start fasting. And you'd start mourning. And you'd, you'd weep. When you start doing those things, the activation of your heart, it, you don't have to try to weep. You just do. And when your heart gets tenderized in that way, the tears just come easy. Um, and, and that's the thing I think is really interesting because our culture doesn't do well with mourning. Um, so, so you all know my story. I lost my first wife in a car accident. We've had other people who have lost parents or spouses. And I said, one of the hardest things about grieving and mourning is no one really knows because we don't dress up anymore to let you know. It used to be that woman would wear black for a year. So that everyone who dealt with her would just be tender and be like, oh, man, you know, oh, oh, wow, that lady in black, something's happened in her life. Let me just make sure I address her and treat her in the way that would give dignity to her suffering and her loss. So now the only way we know is if we're honest. If we actually tell people or if we're brave enough to wear it when we worship and when we pray and when we sit down for coffee and just say, hey, I'm losing it. I need help. Right? To mourn and to weep. Return to me with all your heart, fasting, mourning, and weeping. Rend your heart, not your garment. So he's like, I don't need outward displays of religion. I'm not saying read your Bible more and go to more classes and do all the things you think, you know, that might make it look like you're trying harder. He's like, I actually want a contrite heart. I want your heart to, I want you to actually show people what's happening in your heart to be like, I am angry, sad, resentful, scared, grieving. Return to the Lord, right? So, so return him with all your heart. Why? Because he's gracious and compassionate. So what happens, and you know this, in any relationship where there begins to be a lack of trust of, will this person take care of me if I approach them, you start to become suspicious and you start to wonder about their character. So the longer you keep your life from God in that way, you'll start to begin to think, maybe God's angry with me. Maybe he's disappointed. Maybe he won't receive me. Maybe this is his judgment on me and I'm suffering because he doesn't like me or love me and this is a reminder. It's like, no, no, no. As you return to him, you will be reminded, I promise you, that he's slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his chamber and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Hmm. He gives us this, this thing. He's like, what, what should you do when this stuff is happening? You should turn the church into a place that actually does these things. 
that mourns and weeps and cries out and blows the trumpet to be like, something is happening, we have to pay attention. That's what I feel like my goal as a pastor right now for this church is, is like kind of like blowing the trumpet to be like, we have to pay attention to what's happening. We've got to get honest about what's happening in your life and my life in the church, in our nation, and respond with the way God tells us to respond. Rather than saying, I think it'll all work out. I kind of like my life a little bit. I'm comfortable in this way. I don't want to be uncomfortable in that way. And, and instead, he says, return to God. Rend your heart. He says, and afterward, verse 28, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will, will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. And listen to this. There will be deliverance. Isn't that good? What do you want? Ultimately, when you're in that place, you want deliverance. You're like, God, deliver me from these things. And he's saying, okay, I will deliver you. Do these things. And God does so much of this. He's like, if this, then that, right? We read Second Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. He's like, if you humble yourself and pray and seek, I will show up. He's saying this, if you will allow your broken heart to come to me <laughs> in reality, in the truth, I will. I'll hear. I'll see. And then it's beautiful because there's all sorts of other stuff in here about his promises. About He's like, I'll actually repay what the locusts have taken. He's not, not only will I do something new, he's like, I will actually restore things that you would think could never get restored. Job 42 is a, a life promise for me. It says, and Job was blessed more in the latter days than he was in the former. Yes, Lord. And there was a day where I needed that promise because I was broken and alone. I was like, God, I'll do these things, but I need you to fulfill this promise that I might be blessed more in the latter days than the former. Amen? So what we want to do in praying for revival is we want to bring those two things together. Right? We want church to be full of worship, right? To be a place where people come. And what is church for? Church is a place to meet with God. Not a place to be seen or to see and just to mingle and have just good friendships. That's great. But if that's all we do, we will miss it. God, Jesus is like, where two or three are gathered my name, I'm there. Will you acknowledge me? Can this be about me? And that's why I love the statement, like, wherever we're gathered, we get a chance. Jesus is uh, the guest of honor at this gathering. I want to lift him up and look at him and praise him and worship him. And as we do, our hearts start to soften and we start to understand what God's doing. And then I think we pray. And that's the thing that we wanted to be like, hey, we don't want to just say we want to pray. We want to actually pray. And we want to give a good uh, amount of time to pray. For us to actually ask of God rather than talking about asking God. Amen? Uh, so, so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and ask our prayers to come down.
I'm going to pray before they pray. Got one more. <laughs> Don't wake the baby. Right, who's going first? Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. But um, can I just invite you right now? Um, there's something about our posture in prayer. So Paul says this. He says, I ask men, men, this is really interesting. I think it's for everyone, but he says specifically men. I ask for men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. How does the Bible tell men to pray? If you read about the early church, everyone would stand in the room and they would pray like this with their eyes open, lifted to heaven. That's the, that was the Christian posture for prayer. If you met a Christian and you say, how do you pray? It wasn't, I get a mat and I kneel and I face a certain direction. Where's, where's Jesus? I don't know. He's somewhere <laughs> in the realm, the heavenlies. He's in the throne room. And so I lift my eyes and I ask Jesus, show me that place. Right? Maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you want to be like, you know what? My life, if I were to, to be honest about my life in prayer, I'd get on my face. I'd just lay down. I don't know. But here's what I want. I want us just to be honest in prayer. I want our bodies to reflect what's happening in our spirit. So I just encourage you, as we pray, if you feel led to do any of that, do it. If you want to come down to the altar and just be like, I just want to be on the altar. I want to pray. Do that. But what we do is we, we want to connect. So I'm going to read this again. Even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his chamber and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the altar and the portico. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. So Jesus, right now, we say, spare the church in America. Spare us, Lord, from judgment, for apathy, for sinfulness, for pride, for greed, for lust. Spare us, Jesus, for our love of the world, for our distraction. make your inheritance an object of scorn. Jesus, the church is your inheritance. We belong to you. Spare the church, Lord, in this day. Forgive us. We don't want in our day and time for people to say, where is their God? Is he even real? Does any of this actually matter? So Holy Spirit, right now, would you pray with me? I pray right now that you would birth a cry of intercessory prayer in this church. That we would be watchmen and watchwomen. We would stand on the wall for this generation and say, Lord, we will pray. We will not be distracted. We know where our help comes from. It comes from you, God. So we call on you for your help. We cannot fix what we broke. 
So Holy Spirit, would you come and remake us? Would you come and restore what the enemy has stolen? Would you come and make us aware of the places in our lives that we are broken, suffering, afraid? And would you come and bind us up? Would you come this morning and pour oil on hearts? As we return to you, God, as we want a church of people to look like you, Jesus. Yes, we love you. Holy Spirit, pray through us today. Holy Spirit, pray through us today. Not just the people with the mic, but every single person in this room, would you pray through them? Would you awaken in them the groan? You say in Romans that you actually will, when we don't know what to pray, you'll actually pray in us and through us through groans. Through, through just like a place where we're like, I can't even put words to it. Yeah. So I want to encourage you, as our prayers begin to pray, pray with them. Out loud, if you want to, respond. Join. Join them in prayer. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us and that you bless us beyond measure. Help us to see you, Lord, shine upon us, Father. Father, bring us an all-consuming fire for Jesus a burning to know you more, to replace anything that satisfies other than you, Father. Pour out your spirit on us, Father. Let us walk in your ways and be a beautiful picture of your love to the lost and to the hurting. Make us your hands and feet. Open our eyes to see the brokenhearted, Father. Help us to show your love, not religion. Father, you, are gather, you gathered broken people to start your ministry. Your disciples were ordinary people, broken and hurting, but available to trust and follow you, to trust and obey. So let us trust and obey like the disciples, Father. Father, we relinquish control to you. our tendency to control situations and not wait on your answer for prayers in our timing. Prayers for lost people in our family. Prayers for the illnesses of friends and family. Prayers of strongholds and addictions that we've been praying about for years for family members and friends that are destroying their lives. We release them to you and with open hands and trust in your timing and your will for their healing, Father. We confess unbelief and not letting your word have power in our lives and in our daily routines. We pray that we give you every day, Father, that when we rise in the morning that you remind us of our ministry opportunities for the day. Anyone that we can share the word with or minister to, it might be as simple as a warm smile to someone who is hurting or changing our plans for the day to pray with someone. 
us to trust you more, to surrender completely, Father, to understand your power and remind us that you are capable. You hold us close. You never let us go. Even when we stray, that you are trustworthy and safe, Father. You are so, so safe. Father, that your power has authority in our lives and that you are all-knowing and powerful. Father, bring revival to the ones who have strayed from you, who have once relied on you and they followed you closely. Break the lie that you are not enough and that you do satisfy, Father. Pour out your spirit on us, Father. Open our eyes to see you, truly, truly see you, to see the loving Father who is there for us, who never lets us down, who catches us when we fall, for us when we feel left out, abandoned, and unloved, who knows that sometimes we feel lonely, even when we are in a crowded room, Father, even lonely at church and in our workplaces, even sometimes at home. You are a good, good Father who is trustworthy with our deepest hurts and disappointments. You know all you still love us with a love we could never comprehend or understand. Thank you, Father. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Jesus, I trust you because your timing has never failed me. I have questioned and become anxious and worried only to be reminded time and again that your timing is perfect. When my heart is weary, your spirit within me is strong. My flesh has failed, but your strength is not. You are so faithful to provide. You are the well that never runs out of fresh living water. Jesus, in my darkest moments, I know that you are there. I didn't see you in the moment. I look back, though, and I know that you were there. The lies that I believed, you were declaring false. Your truth was being spoken despite my distracted focus. Lord, you have always defended my heart. When I have wronged those I love, you have defended who you say I am. You have testified on my behalf and spoken to the identity that you say I have. You've said I'm chosen, renewed, made in your image and loved. Thank you for that identity, Jesus. In this day, I cling to the truth you speak about me. Would you remind your people of the truths you've spoken over them? This is a generation desperate to know your truth. Lord, we've searched far and wide and have come up empty, except for in your house. Lord, I plead on behalf of my brothers and sisters who don't know your voice. Would you reveal yourself to them in miraculous ways in this day? To those who know your voice and need to hear it today, I ask that you would remove their earplugs this morning and speak. You know what your children need to hear. So I ask that you would speak right now. Remind us that you've always been there. You are the only truth that can fulfill our hearts. In this city, in our workplaces, make yourself known, Jesus. There's a generation of new mothers and fathers who desperately want to see you revive the hearts of your people. 
trust that you will reign tomorrow and forevermore, but we are asking for a fresh outpouring of your wisdom. We need to know your heart, Lord. We need your wisdom to guide the hearts of our children, so I ask that you pour it out. Lord, I thank you for those that will disciple our children. You have given the high schoolers in our community a heart of worship. They want to be in your presence and hear your voice. Would you continue to stir their hearts to know your voice and to seek it daily? Satan, you have no authority to distribute anxiety or depression or confusion or identity. Jesus, solidify your identity for them and continue to open their eyes to the access that they have to you. For the generation after them, give them eyes to see your goodness around them. I trust so deeply in what you're stirring, Lord, that all I ask is that you would soften the hearts of our littles to see it. Thank you for those at the altar this morning, Lord, that just want to know your voice. Jesus, continue to draw them near. We just want to dwell in your house, Lord, where your justice and righteousness reign over all, where your presence is so real to us that distraction has no stronghold. Thank you for the church and the encouragement of our brothers and sisters. Thank you for speaking to your church, for the encouragement of one another. You're so gracious to be a God who speaks to us. I've seen your generosity to speak when I choose to listen. Your humility to not only come and be a man, but to speak directly, us, directly to us through Holy Spirit. So kind, Jesus. You know the desires of our hearts, Lord. Continue to align them with your will and let your will be done. We are ready. Lord, for viewing your glory as commonplace, for taking the elements of your blood and body without the conviction of your new covenant that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I am so sorry for making it about me, Lord. It's all about you. It's all about you. We approach you with reverence and awe, for our good God is a consuming fire. You freely give a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You are gentle, precious Lord. You are so kind. You are so worthy. In your gentleness, you search my depths and you kindly heal the broken places, the places no one else could touch, the secret places that appear impossible to redeem, even those, Jesus. When my worst nightmare became reality as the traumatic accidental death of my precious husband seared a deep wood into my being, you held me together. I was a 30-year-old pregnant widow with a two-year-old baby girl, and you became a husband to me and a father to my children. You held me on my bedroom floor as I cried out, I can't do this. I want to die. I want to die too, Lord, but you never left me. Not once. Not once. Today, as I look back on the days that I thought you were absent, you were clearly right next to me, holding me so tightly, equipping me to care for my young children as you cared for me through quiet moments alone and through your precious body of believers. On the days I'm still afraid because I don't know what my future brings, I remember the fact that you are faithful and you are good. 
You have proved it over and over and over. You hold my future and the future of my precious children and its timing in your hands. Even on the worst day of my life, I can look back and say that I have a beautiful inheritance in you. You are my chosen portion in my cup, and today I choose life. Today I choose you, Jesus. Only in your kingdom, Father, can you allow me to hold deep grief and expansive joy together in the same breath. Bring your kingdom here on earth. We want it, Lord. We long for your kingdom. We long for your face. You weave a beautiful tapestry as you work all things in accordance with the purpose of your plan. You restore the years that the locusts have destroyed for your glory and my good. You make water and pastures in the wilderness. You make a way. You make a way, Lord. You equip me with strength for the battle and then tell me to only be still as you are in me, defeating Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Because you did not abandon me to the grave. You did not leave me to Sheol. You are with me as I pass through the waters. The harsh waters of this world do not overwhelm me. You overwhelm me, Jesus. Your loving, redemptive, beautiful, living water overwhelms me. We honor you, Lord. Your way is better. Your way is better. Your way is so much better. I surrender it all because you paid it all when you said it is finished. And we long for the day when we see your face and your name is on our foreheads. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy One. Come, Worthy One. Come, Gentle One. Come, Kind One. Show us your glory, Lord. We long to see it. We long to see your face. You said you were coming soon. Amen. Come soon, Lord Jesus. You are holy. You are worthy. We join with the angels and elders in Revelation 5 and we say, open the scroll, break the seal, worthy one. A blessing and honor and glory and power be unto the Lamb who sits on the throne. You are holy, Lord God Almighty. You are holy, holy, holy. 